Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. Let me say a quick prayer and then we will jump into our message this morning. Father, we we thank you for um, just the, the opportunity to to gather and to to exalt your name. Father, it is um, shamefully we go through so much of the week and do not do that. And so, Father, I pray that we not only exalt your name, but that we hear from you and that we uh, grow in just awareness of who you are and then how we might respond to who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. February 10th, 1728. So a long time ago, almost 300 years ago. A group of believers in a part of Germany began an intercessory prayer time that went around the clock, 24 hours a day. This was a Moravian community. The Moravian community would take one-hour slots, and then they would just take their turns rotating around, and they prayed for everything they, they could. Pray, they prayed for the world. They prayed for the nations to have to know Christ. They did this. They prayed in this way for more than 100 years. I, I mean, it's, it's so big, it's hard to even imagine uh, that this small community would undertake to pray around the clock for over 100 years. Prayer is of great value for many reasons. Um, the more we devote ourselves to prayer, the, the more we actually are, we find our lives being reordered by God. This community would not just be in the presence of God faithfully without being changed. And so uh, a few years into this round-the-clock prayer, Two men, Leonard Dober and David Nitschmann, I don't speak German, and so I, the pronunciation is probably wrong. So Leonard Dober and David Nitschmann, a potter and a carpenter, they sensed a calling from God to go to the Caribbean island of St. Thomas. At that time, it was a, uh, an island under the rule of European landowners, and it had sugarcane plantations with slaves on those plantations. They, these two men walked for two months to reach the port in Denmark, from which they boarded a ship to go to St. Thomas. Uh, they had um, no legal way to be there, and so they became 
um, workers on the sugarcane plantations alongside those that were um, forced to work those plantations. This made the European owners angry, um, but it, they grew in their relationships with those working in the sugarcane plantations and shared Christ in the midst of it. They dealt with disease and hunger and death, but they were faithful to this calling. A couple of years later, two other men departed from this same group and went to Greenland, an area of the world we don't hear a lot about, um, and to share the gospel with the Inuits there. Uh, they too faced sickness, extreme cold, starvation. And after 27 years of serving among them, they saw their first converts. 27 years. For this community in Herrenhut, Germany, uh, that their time in the presence of God through prayer transformed them. Isaiah has a, a, a similar account of being in the presence of God. And so I want us to, to read from Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, and just um, observe with me um, how Isaiah being in the presence of God transformed. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. 
The holy seed is its stump. This is the word of the Lord. So we are, um, first, there's this, immediately there's this contrast. The death of a king, King Uzziah. And, And this king served for 52 years. He reigned for 52 years. But the contrast is really clear here. Here is this earthly king. Though 52 years is extraordinary, not as long as Queen Elizabeth II, but it's still extraordinary. Um, Yet still what we see here, what we capture here is his death. At the same time, Isaiah is taken to see the throne of God. And there's just a stark contrast, a vision of a different king, a holy king. And so we want to look at this in four responses to our holy God. One, we are overwhelmed by God's glory. Two, woe is me. Three, whom shall I send? Four, until when, Lord? One, overwhelmed by God's glory. The train of God's robe fills the temple. We don't actually, Isaiah doesn't actually give us like direct description of God. He captures the glory of God, even just describing the tail end of his robe. The train of his robe fills the temple. This presence of God is just overwhelming, his throne high and lifted up. We just sang about this God who is God alone. And then when we catch a glimpse of these other creatures that have no earthly parallel, the seraphim, which literally means burning ones. We can get so focused on just the stuff of this world you know, whatever, Instagram, Twitter, and and lose focus that there is going on this radiant, pure worship of Almighty God going on as we speak. And what do they say, the seraphim? They're, They're calling to one another antiphonally. It's there. That's your 20 cent word for the day. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. A scholar on the book of Isaiah by the name of Andrew Abernathy, he says, holiness is a quality that belongs exclusively to God, whereby the holiness of any other person or object is derivative means it comes from being in relation to the Holy One, the source of holiness. In other words, we, there's no holiness apart from God. God is holy. We can only become anything worthwhile because God makes it so. In this in this phrase, they, they call out holy, holy, holy. In Hebrew, um, 
the, the way that you talk about the purity of something or the, the strength of something is by you repeat the word. So it's different from Bahasa Malayu. In Bahasa Malayu, you repeat the word to say there's more than one of something, right? If you have one apple, it's an apple. If you have a bunch of apples, it's apple, apple, right? Um, in Hebrew, it's different. And so if you're trying, you're trying to amplify the strengthen or give purity to the thing, then you say it more than once. And so gold, for example, really, really pure gold would be gold, gold. And so then here we come back to this and it says that the, the seraphim are calling to each other, calling, describing God as not just holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy. And in other words, God is in this, this category that is so completely foreign to us and to our broken world and to our sinful world. It's just even hard to even imagine. Even though we can try as hard as we can, we will never achieve this level of holiness apart from God. And then the, the second line of this is the earth is full of God's glory. And this can be a little bit confusing, perplexing even. We, we've just seen from Isaiah in the first five chapters of this book where he is systematically describing the, the troubled nature of the world that we're in. And yet, here he says, the, wor the world is full of God's glory. Because one only needs to, to look at the beauty of creation and marvel at God. One only needs to experience the tender warmth of companionship and know that God provided this. One only needs to see how injustice and exploitation stir the wrath of God and know that he will judge the world justly and bring it to rights. The earth is full of God's glory. So how do we respond to a holy God? Our first response should be awe. When I was a, when I was a kid, my, you know, it is, I don't know. I don't know when the, the word awesome became like normal, but it was pretty normal when I was a kid and everything was awesome, you know, like, that, that basketball game was awesome. Those sneakers are awesome. That music is awesome. That bubble gum is awesome. And my dad was always really frustrated by this. And his comment was always, there is only one who is awesome. This, all this other stuff is not even close. Two, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
there's in Isaiah a sudden awareness of his uncleanness. And, and it's sudden because we've been fooled in some ways. I, I think we go through a lot of life comparing ourselves with just other people. And, and even when we do that, we usually compare their worst actions and our best actions, you know? Like we, we cheat the system even when we're doing this internally. But now we gain insight into those first five chapters of Isaiah that are so intense and so strongly worded warnings about our sinful state. And it's because Isaiah has seen real holiness. And then he looks back at the world and it's like, oh. And he looks at himself and he says, oh. It's not a pretty sight. Imagine, I don't know, I just assuming there's probably someone who plays the cello in here, but just assume none of us played the cello before and we all pick up cellos and start trying to play it. How would that sound? It would be some screeching and scratching. It would be pretty bad. And then Yo-Yo Ma enters the room with a cello, and it's just magnificent. It's beautiful music. To be in the presence of God, you suddenly realize the world that you've settled for, the material ambitions, our petty jealousies, our superficial satisfactions, they're really just screeching and scratching, and we're missing the real beauty, the pure holiness glory unveiled of God Almighty. He is God and we are not. Anybody know how far we are from the sun right now? I'm told 93 million miles. 93 million miles. It's about eight light minutes. Did you know that there were light minutes, not just light years? So just to, get a, just to get a glimpse of the enormity of the universe that God created, imagine that distance from earth to sun, 93 million miles, is the thickness of a piece of paper. Just a typical sheet of paper, it's that thick. That's the distance. On this scale, the nearest star, which is 4.3 light years away, would be a, if you just stack papers of 93 million miles each, it would be 71 feet. That's how far the nearest star is. The diameter of the Milky Way, which is 100,000 light years, would require 310 mile high stack of paper. And then the distance to the Andromeda galaxy, which is 2 million light years, uh, which is one of the most distant objects of, visible to the naked eye, would require a stack of paper more than 6,000 miles high. 
So on this scale, the edge of the universe, however someone describes that, I think it's as far as we know there to be, um, is to find the most distance known quasars some 10 billion light years away um, is not reached until the stack of paper is 31 million miles high. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And then you think back to little old us on this marble we call Earth. We're pretty small in this grand scheme of things. We're pretty small in this creator God. God is the author of that. And so in the midst of this, Isaiah is suddenly hyper aware of God's magnificence, God's awesomeness. And he's also aware of his uncleanness. And so how is his guilt removed? How are his sins um, taken away? How is he made clean? The, one of the seraphim grabs the burning coal from another from the altar and touches it to Isaiah's lips. And we'll, we'll come back to the altar a little bit later. But the result is Isaiah's sin was atoned for. He was made clean. So our second response to our sinfulness is to look inward and repent. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Three, whom shall I send? It says in, in verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. To see God, to have this glimpse of God's glory, God's holiness, will not leave us unchanged. Isaiah is now given new purpose. He, his response is, here I am, send me. This is true worship, the best kind of worship, the, the kind of worship where he just offers himself. Any other expression of worship would be far too small for this kind of God. What, what Isaiah is called to is a tough calling just as those Moravians we talked about took on a tough calling. Their journeys were dangerous. Sickness was the norm. They often struggled to survive. In the 1900s, it was common for missionaries to pack their earthly belongings in a coffin because it was assumed that the next time they returned to their home country, it would be in the coffin. In other words, when they accepted the call to go, they knew that that was giving their lives for that cause. And still they went. 
When they said, send me, it was unconditional. Though I may die, send me. You can't say, here I am, send me, though, until you have said, woe is me. And you really won't say, woe is me, until you have been confronted by God's glory. And so we begin by being in front of God's glory. We begin, uh, we continue by acknowledging our uncleanness before God. And then are we willing to tell God, send me? That's a hard, those are, those are two words that are just really hard to honestly say. Are you willing to say, send me? Until when, Lord? Isaiah's call comes with a warning. Uh, he's told by God that you're going to go and you're going to give this message to my people and they're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to believe you. That's a hard calling. Here, I want you to do this. And by the way, no one's going to listen to you. In fact, in chapter five of Isaiah, we, we see that God has come to the point of saying, okay, if you guys want to go your own way, fine, go your own way. And this is the repercussion. This is what it means. They have tuned out from God. So why, why would this be the calling? In our brains, our logic says if we are sent on a mission from God, then we will see nothing but success, right? And then we begin to ask why God is not blessing the mission. We think maybe it's due to sin. So then we try to act better or do more religious things. But sudden, there's, a, there's a trap in this. We suddenly find ourselves trying to save ourselves rather than acknowledging the true source of our salvation. God doesn't just, he's not just a cosmic ATM. How long, oh Lord, until when, Lord? God knows that Israel has not yet seen themselves as unclean and in need of God's intervention. His judgment on Israel would continue, but it was not the end of the story. That last line in the chapter says, the holy seed is its stump. It describes a forest being burned to the ground, and yet God preserves a portion. Not because they deserved it, but because God is a God of mercy. There's a stump with a new tree sapling growing out of it. Remember the seraph, the seraphim, the seraph that took the burning coal from an altar to atone for Isaiah? This altar in the temple of the Lord reminds us that God had made a way for Isaiah's sins to be atoned for. 
Isaiah knew everyone around him was just as unclean as he was. He knew that they could not help each other become clean. Only one in history has lived a life measuring up to God's holiness. But also God would make him clean, make us clean through this one who would measure up to God's holiness. This is what God did through Jesus. That he would give his life for us so that we might too be made clean. Jesus resolved to say, here I am, send me. And he went to the cross for us. And for those who come to faith in Jesus, we're also given the opportunity to say, here I am, send me. His prayer at the the end of John, John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Christians throughout time have responded to God in just amazing ways, making incredible sacrifices in order to deliver a message of hope to those who are still hopeless. For some of you this morning, this might be your outlook. Things seem dark, maybe hopeless. I cannot offer you any hope outside of Jesus. In him alone, we find light. Others of you have experienced the beauty of hope found in Jesus, but struggle to know what's next. What do we now do? So what I would urge you to do is go to the Lord in prayer. Go before the Lord with ears ready to listen and hearts willing to comply. Every one of us is called to play a role in in God's work. Nobody, nobody is without a calling. So what is yours? Isaiah's calling was a hard one, but we now benefit from his faithfulness. I tell one more story, this time from China. Sister Chung was a house church leader in Henan, China. Again, I apologize for pronunciation. She sensed a calling to do something that did not make any sense to her whatsoever. Her, it was very specific. She sensed God calling her to go and preach right outside the police station. And, and she, she was not naive. She knew what this meant. She knew that to go preach outside the local police station, like that wouldn't be a good idea in any country, right? Um, she knew that she would be arrested, but she continued to pray about it and felt confirmed in her calling. And she obeyed. And true enough, she went and preached and she was arrested and not even given a trial, sent straight to prison. 
And, and it makes us immediately ask, why would God do that? Why would God call her to do something that seems wasteful? So she was sent to a prison full of thousands of lost people. And so she begins to give witness to Christ in prison. Over in the period of just a few months, 800 women come to faith in Christ. And it begins to change the whole prison. So much so that the prison director suddenly calls her into the office. And, you know, prison director calls you in the office. You're like, uh-oh. Uh, but it went differently than that. You have made my job easy, she said. There is no more fighting between the prisoners, and the women have become gentle and obedient. We need more people like you working here. Can you guess what happened next? Sister Chang was offered a job <laughs> with really good pay and a car and a driver. But here's the surprising thing. She said no. Because again, she said this was not her calling to work this job. And so she said no to this offer. They released her from prison and she continued in ministry through the house church. She said, here I am, send me. And she did. She responded in obedience, even when she knew there would be suffering. She did it when it didn't make sense to her. She continued to do it when there were tempting opportunities to stop. So what is God calling you to do? How do you need to respond? For some, maybe you've never really stopped and bowed in awe before God. Do that. Do that today. Or maybe God is speaking to you about your life and that your heart is unclean. Take this time to become before God and say, woe is me. Ask God for forgiveness, to bring cleansing. For others of you, maybe God is speaking to you about your calling. And I, I don't care if you are eight or 80, you're never beyond hearing from a, a calling from God. Sometimes people carry a calling inside them and never tell anyone. And years down the road, they, they carry this regret in their heart that they never stepped out. So I want to take just a few minutes to do something that's kind of awkward, which is to spend a few minutes just in quiet before God. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Kyle to come up and just play the guitar, and we're going to spend a couple of minutes. My, my urge to you is to go before the Lord in prayer. If, you, if it helps you to, to come up up this way, if you want to talk to, to an elder, um, you can. Don't feel any obligation to do that. But uh, the elders are available. Someone else is available. If you want to talk to someone that you know already, um, pray through any of this. 
I just want to offer you guys an opportunity. Just take a moment to be before God and, and listen. And after a couple of minutes, I will close our time in prayer. Father, we thank you for this glimpse of your holiness, of your glory, of your kingliness. Father, I, I pray for, for all of us that this passage of, of describing your glory, that it would bring us all to a point of, of true awe. There is no greater source of inspiration than that of your majesty. And Father, I pray also that it would come, it would, it would lead us to a recognition of our uncleanness, of the ways in which we fall short of your glory. And God, I pray that, that beyond that even, that we would bow before you, ready to hear from you, and ready to respond, ready to respond in obedience to what you call us to do. None of the people that we've described this morning, Isaiah or the, the, the German men or Sister Chang, all ordinary people that you used in such extraordinary ways. So God, I pray that you would use us, Lord. Use us to do your work so that you might be glorified. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.